Welcome to Child Neuro Chat. Let's demystify the medical world of child neurology together. Join Nurse Kim and Dr. Carrie Wilson, specialists in child neurology with the University of Utah Primary Children's Hospital. Welcome back to Child Neuro Chat. Today we are going to be discussing diversity in epilepsy. Um, and we wanted to focus on some special considerations for various patient populations who have epilepsy, uh, focusing mostly on various races and gender um, information about um, different populations with epilepsy. So well, and I think, I think Carrie, we, we felt the call to be more aware ourselves of this area of epilepsy. So I think that this is a timely topic. I agree. I agree. And it's important to discuss, um, even if we don't have all the facts or understanding to be able to talk about it, to improve awareness and thus research in understanding some of these differences and how, how epilepsy impacts different populations in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I am encouraged to see what I find out and learn from this podcast myself. <laughs> awesome. We are always learning in neurology, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of learning, happy one year. Whoa. What? Oh my gosh, you're right. I know, I know. So Sorry, fast. listeners. I don't know if we have like one year's worth of podcasts, but <laughs> we have been doing this for a year and it is a good, good feeling. So that is really true. Well, it's been an interesting year for everyone in the world. Um, and I agree. I We had a very long hiatus after the initiation or after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic where we could no longer record in the studio. There were a lot of unknowns. Um, I personally- I mean, you know, for technically challenged, two technically challenged individuals, I think that we, you know, kind of troubleshooted pretty quick. Uh, but yes, no, but <laughs> we're still trying to figure out how to work Instagram, let's be honest. So, I totally agree. Let's stick I to keep, medicine. <laughs> I keep messing that up, yeah. Yeah, if any of our listeners want to be our like social media coordinator, that would be really a welcome volunteer. We're welcome to any tips. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a good uh, thing that we love what we do and we'll just keep doing it. That's our day job. That's we'll true. Just keep doing our day job. We are trying. And like you said, we are learning in so many different ways because um, I am now editing our Zoom recordings <laughs> and, and combining it with our intro and outro and yeah. That's, that's Which is a great talent to have. Who'd have thought that you'd ever have that, you know, opportunity and talent, but yeah, uh, yeah. I just want to give you a shout out, Sharon, Carrie. Um, I, I am very honored and blessed that I've been able to do this with you for this last year. And what, like, it was, it was a wonderful, like, uh, you know, cheerleader moment for me to be able to convince Carrie that we could do this. And it was exciting. And I'm glad that she was willing to jump in with me and, you know, just submerge ourselves in the unknown. And so thank you, Carrie. This has been a wonderful year. So you're oh, amazing. Thank you. You are so wonderful. And I am excited to follow your lead with this. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun year. It's good. So thank you, can't get It's our one you, year. Kim. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. This next year, though, we're going to keep moving forward with everything we've learned and have lots more topics out there. Right. Yes. This is just the beginning. Well, let's get back to our topic today of diversity and yeah. epilepsy. I think today we're going to start with talking about how um, different uh, 
people with epilepsy might be impacted in different ways, focusing on how race plays into that as well as gender. I think it's really important to start out with the fact that a lot of what, you know, the numbers that we're going to talk about today are really just reported numbers and statistics. They are not necessarily like um, facts or, or research-based conclusions with an explanation as to why these numbers are that way. And there's a lot that plays into how this type of information is gathered. Most of it is just by, um, you know, reporting uh, yeah. based on the individuals. And so there's a lot of bias that can play into that. Um, so I think if anything, this just highlights the need for more research and understanding how race and gender um, can play into epilepsy, both in terms of how frequently it's diagnosed, how it's managed, and the outcomes. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think that uh, you stated it well in the sense that there's a definite kind of black hole that exists out there that um, I think can shed a lot of light on this. It, it's just getting the bandwidth and the willingness of all parties involved to be able to study this, but I think that there's definitely yeah. a need. It's a fascinating topic. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see where genetics takes us as far as like next level. Um, Cause you know, thinking back about our genetics podcast and how that will help guide some of our research moving forward when it comes to, to race and um, even gender. In yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So um, let's just talk about some of the information that's out there. So that yeah, fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> or well, facts. Facts to say. That's my air quote facts. <laughs> they're not, yeah, they're not that fun and they're maybe not that factual, actually. Oh, fair. But, <laughs> it just, I mean, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's information. I think of facts as like evidence you know, research. Uh, you come from a science background. Yes, I yes. I'm speaking I more of like, uh, I just Googled this fact. Oh. oh, yeah, which doesn't necessarily make it a fact. Yeah, there has to be an asterisk there. Where did you Google it from? So along right. with that, the references I used for the numbers that we'll be discussing today are from the Center for Disease Control, the Epilepsy Foundation website, as well as the World Health Organization website. Ooh, all three things, very Googleable. Yes, but also more of a, um, in my opinion, um, more respected websites in terms of getting information that yeah, is accurate and medically yeah. sound. So, and the fact uh, that our listeners could also go on these same websites and find the same information. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll link them in our social media accounts. Yes, we will. If we can figure out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so starting out epilepsy, occurs more frequently in Hispanics than non-Hispanics. Oh, interesting. So the Latino community as a whole tends to have a higher it's, percentage. Yeah, a higher prevalence of epilepsy diagnosis. Again, oh. to our listeners, we don't know why. Um, and I think more research needs to be done. Yeah, um, there is not a lot of information out there that I could find about uh, Asian Americans specifically. Um, mm. Really, they just talk about the the numbers, and so an estimated 1.5 percent of Asian Americans currently have epilepsy. That's pretty similar to the overall national numbers in terms of. Oh, it is. Okay. You know, like a 1.2 percent. So maybe oh, okay. it's a little bit higher, but um, 
I don't think that that is uh, under. It would be interesting to know the rational or the uh, the ration ration ratio ratio. <laughs> I can speak um, of like full population of Asian Americans, like percentage, like in the nation, how many and out of that one point five. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, as far as, yeah. Like, I think. So. Some of that could be out there, so check out the Epilepsy Foundation website. Absolutely. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's we no are no statisticians. <laughs> That's true. Mm -hmm. um, in those who have epilepsy, active epilepsy is considered uh, when your seizures are not completely controlled, and so you're oh really kind of like intractable. No, it's um, different. It's different because maybe you haven't met the criteria for intractable or drug-resistant epilepsy. Oh, okay. It's just whether or not you have complete control. And so there's a lot of factors that play into that that could be, you know, are you taking medications as you should? Um, are you taking any medication at all? Do you have the right diagnosis? So things like that. Um, but active epilepsy, meaning, you know, you're diagnosed with epilepsy, but your seizures are not completely controlled. Um, looking back, usually they ask in the last year, um, it's more mm -hmm. frequent to have active epilepsy in the white population compared to the black population. Interesting. However, <laughs> and so in my mind, you know, there's a lot of speculations that can happen that we should not make. But, sure, yeah, um, a lot of context behind those, right? That, right, and so it makes me wonder, okay, so um, does that mean if the, if a white population is having reports of, you know, less controlled epilepsy, does that mean their outcomes would be worse? But actually, according to the numbers, um, uh, black people with epilepsy have a higher um, death rate from epilepsy compared to both Hispanic and non-Hispanic <laughs> white population. Wow. They also have a, a higher uh, utilization. So they go to the emergency department more frequently, both for the diagnosis and management of their epilepsy. Oh, interesting. Um, which, yeah. It, uh, which then can play, you know, like can like um, certainly uh, morph into other avenues of, you know, insurance and, and uh, yes. premiums, like a whole nother world. Yeah. Yeah. Coverage. Exactly. Yeah. Continuity of care, you know, having a neurologist uh -huh. that knows you well is not going to happen mm -hmm. if you're going to the emergency department regularly. And truly uh -huh. like even just, we know based on, um, on how prevalent an epilepsy physician is somewhere, right? Like a specialty in that it could be that there's no one surrounding. Yes. That area that has a specialist. In yes. So yeah, I agree. We're not, we can't go too far Sorry, down. We're not going to go down that road, but I'm just saying these are other things that like give a backstory to why certain definitely numbers appear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we need more research. And um, even though, you know, whites are reported to have more active epilepsy, uh, the black population has a higher lifetime prevalence of having epilepsy. So prevalence is more, hmm. um, you know, at one point in time, they measure how many people have epilepsy or not. And so okay. it is reported to be of higher prevalence in the black population compared to- Over a life, like over a lives. lifetime. Yes. Interesting. It would be interesting, and I don't think that we know the numbers, but it would be interesting how many, um, as far as um, race is concerned in pediatric epilepsy, because I know a lot of numbers come from our adult folks. Yeah, that's um, a good point. having it parceled down to a pediatric, meaning child-based epilepsy versus non, like where these similar numbers fall into in that 
it'd be interesting. There is Anyone so much room. There is so much room for future research, Kim. <laughs> Just putting it out to the public. Feel free. Love it. Um, uh, and then moving into, this is not um, race-based, but another sort of special considerations within a, a certain population. Uh, the transgender population, epilepsy yeah. is, is not known to be of higher prevalence in people who are transgender. However, okay. many people who are transgender go through, have various gender affirming management, which can include hormone treatments. And oh, right. hormone treatments are known to potentially impact seizure mm. burden. So how frequently mm. you might have seizures. Um, hormones can also interact with anti-seizure medications, thus impacting how well they work to control your seizures. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. So I mean, we do see that in our population. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we um, talk more about women with epilepsy and, and certain special considerations. But, um, you know, in but I could see where there was a definite connection between a trans, excuse me, transgender and hormone treatments. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, by all means, it doesn't mean that someone who's transgender, who is transgender with epilepsy cannot undergo hormone treatments. It's just, you have to be aware of that to talk with your doctor and make yeah. sure that you're getting levels of your anti-seizure medication, looking at what interactions there could potentially be and, and, um, being more vigilant about other seizures. Just another dynamic. Yeah. Just another yes. dynamic. Interesting. Yeah. Um, looking at some of the more global world health organization data, they talk about that in low and middle income countries, there are even higher barriers regarding treatment for epilepsy um, in, in those countries. And they estimate that up to three quarters of people in especially low income countries are not getting the treatment that they need to control their epilepsy. Um, and so some of that, yeah, and again, not to speculate, but this is more based on at least collected and reported information that mm -hmm. some of that is there is a, a decreased availability of anti-seizure medications in, in some of these countries and populations, mm. um, as well as a heightened stigma and prejudice surrounding an epilepsy diagnosis. Which is so interesting to me because and we, as we are well aware, epilepsy is one of the longest or oldest, maybe it's the word I should say, diagnosis. Out of, Especially at least with neurologic it, conditions. Right. Correct. Yes. Sorry. Yes. In, in a neurologic condition. Um, so that would be so, it's so fascinating to me that the, that these countries would, it's like low on the totem pole of treatment yeah. for their population. I, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot that plays into it. And we, you know, we discussed in one of our previous podcasts about um, the stigma behind epilepsy, even yeah. within our own country, which is considered mm -hmm. a high income country, um, that, but I think it's, it's important to remember that that stigma and prejudice is, runs, runs deep within mm -hmm. the entire world population. And, and mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that it can imp impact and limit seizure management. Yeah, yeah. Yet um, another thing to research. I agree. There's a lot. Mm. Or at least mm. advocate on. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Very true. 
Um, so uh, the final number or information, it's not even a number, I suppose, but trend, <laughs> trend, I should say. Okay, trend. There are no really strong uh, differences in terms of the diagnosis of epilepsy between males and females. However, males with mm. epilepsy have a uh, higher reported death rate than females. Oh, gosh. Yeah, huh. that includes sudden unexpected death. Um, so, the, yeah, the highest uh, death rates occur in males. And then, as I said earlier, as it pertains to race in the black. So when it, and maybe, maybe you don't know, um, but it, based on the higher death rates of males, is that specifically epilepsy related deaths or is it just like overall, like deaths of males are higher? I, it's, it's really hard know. to know. Yeah. 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 Um, I, there is research within sudden unexpected death in epilepsy, uh, or it kind of parses it down a little bit more. Um, yeah. okay. well that, that there is a higher risk in males there. But again, there's a lot of unknowns as to why mm -hmm. that is. Yeah, I'm, I really, I, I, I'm on this genetic bandwagon where I think that there's going to be so much information that's presented to us with our findings, which will be phenomenal. I like your optimistic approach <laughs> to, to uh, trying to understand and explain some of these, um, these numbers and trends that we just talked about. I mean, you know, because, you know, for the past thousand years, we have you know, very snail movements of trying to explain this. So maybe this giant genetic leap will give us a little bit more. Again, I like your optimism. <laughs> Let's hope. And if anyone out there is looking for a research project, talk to Kim. <laughs> uh, I've got lots bubbling. Yes. So um, along with that, so even though uh, there's not a specific, you know, it, it, epilepsy does not necessarily impact women or men differently in terms of prevalence. The way that your life is impacted when you're diagnosed with epilepsy is different. And um, there's a fair amount of data specifically talking about women with epilepsy because, um, as I mentioned, with the transgender population, um, there is evidence out there that hormones um, can play a role in uh, seizures and, and how well they're controlled or, or how frequent they occur, how frequently they occur. For example, at least in animal models, their progesterone is a hormone that is thought to be more anti-seizure or anti-convulsant, whereas estrogen... Meaning you wouldn't have as many? Uh, Yes, lower, Is that, I mean, less seizures. Yeah, yeah, anti anti seizure. Um, and then estrogen, another commonly known hormone, is thought to be pro convulsant or, or could increase seizures. Increase um, and so that's important and why that's been studied is there is something called catamenial epilepsy, which is mostly how the menstrual cycle can impact seizure control. And some women experience increased seizures at certain periods, I shouldn't use the word period, at certain times of their menstrual time. cycle. Yeah. Yes. And so that could be during their period or just before their period or menses. So kind of during those, those peaks and drops um, of particular 
hormones. That's what that's that's sort of why that research started to occur is why might yeah. they have higher seizures either with their period or potentially during ovulation. Um, different oh, right. and experience yeah. different times. So um, that's a really important reason why um, I encourage many of my female patients to keep a journal or a diary of their mm. seizures and also their menses so that we can try to track if there could be a trigger Absolutely. Um, in there. Yeah. Because some people need, if, if your seizures worsen, for example, during your period, sometimes we use hormone management in, to our benefit and try to um, decrease those hormonal fluctuations, maybe, for example, using progesterone predominant um, hormone therapy. Usually that's yeah, birth yeah. control, but for, this is more for seizure control. So there's different ways that you can yeah, use hormones um, to try to help that. Or, you know, do you increase your anti-seizure medication doses just before your period? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so there's different ways that that can be addressed, but again, you have to know that that's a possibility and you have to know that, um, if it impacts you by keeping track of your your, uh, yeah, and just being in tune with you, your body, what your what is your body telling you? Yeah. Or yeah, if in our situation, a pediatric patient, like being able to explain to your, your daughter or son that this is what they they are experiencing hormones, right? Because we'll see even in the male population um, that they're like during their growth spurts, right? That we can kind of have these little soft trends of like an increased um, seizure activity. Yeah. And I get that question a lot, um, especially because there are certain types of epilepsy that are diagnosed mm -hmm. in the teenage years. And mm -hmm. a lot of families ask, is this related to puberty? And mm -hmm. I think it's a really good question that I don't know the answer to. Right. And more research. <laughs> more research is needed. More research. Um, <laughs> further thinking about sort of hormones, um, and how I mentioned that, you know, progesterone only hormone therapy is used for some people for birth control, but also for seizure control. But if you think about women who want to take hormone therapy specifically for birth control purposes, uh, like contraception, certain medications are uh, impacted by hormone therapy. And so it might increase the level of the medication and then your drug level is toxic or it might decrease the level and make it less effective um less way. coverage right yeah like yeah so certain medications might make birth control less um effective which is mm -hmm. a problem mm -hmm. if you're using it for birth control and right. other <laughs> and certain <laughs> hormones certain hormones might make your seizure medication less effective, also a problem because then you'll have more seizures. Mm -hmm. So it is, I won't get into the details of which ones, but it is really important for you um, if you're a female with epilepsy, uh, you might not think to tell your neurologist, hey, we started in, you know, a birth control pill recently. Um, how does that affect, you know, the medication or efficacy of the birth control pill? Yeah, that's a great point. I think that there sometimes can be a disconnect between those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I don't typically prescribe um, hormone therapy, but their primary care mm -hmm. might. And so just making sure that everyone's on the same page. Almost like the uh -huh. same thing that we've discussed before, like as far as like supplemental, like what other like 
supplemental things do you take um, just so that your providers are aware? I think we talked about that like in way back, almost like a year ago, way back. Yes. But um, yes. yeah, just being aware that like put it out on the, all on the table, let your provider know all, yes. all the things. Yes. Totally agree. Um, and then thinking about just uh, sort of general health, um, thinking about mental health is uh, also a very popular topic right now. Um, that there's, there's a lot of information that women might have higher psychiatric comorbidities if they are also diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, and then oh, there's the question of how anti-seizure medications might play into that as well. Yeah. Um, and then if you have, if you're taking a medication for a psychiatric condition, you know, depression, anxiety, could that medication also be impacting how well your anti-seizure medication works? So again, yeah, almost like the same thing you said with the hormones, right? Like yes. increasing the, like it's too effective now, it's, it's toxic or it's mm -hmm. not effective enough. enough. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So all of these medications could have interactions. Um, and, and then thinking about the side effects of medications, um, many, especially the older anti-seizure medications can impact bone health. Um, and so it might make your bones more brittle. Um, mm. Thankfully, we're more aware of it and we try to, you know, amp up weight-based exercises and vitamin D and calcium supplementation and things. And is this over like a, a length of time? I know we'll have some families that talk about it, you know, like, I don't want to start this because it has this effect, which I agree in the sense of the long-term, but like, it is, it is usually a longer term side effect. Yes. Um, okay. like so if they were to stay on that particular medicine, then it would definitely be something to trend and watch. Yes. Yeah. And hopefully your neurologist is aware of that and thinking about it. I would say adult epilepsy doctors are probably even more aware of it than pediatric just because, Agreed. um, they, the adult population might be on anti-seizure medications for longer because they're alive mm -hmm. longer. But um, the adult population, you know, as people get older, bone density changes happen naturally, even if you're not on anti-seizure medication. And so, for example, it's really important for women with epilepsy, since we're talking about gender differences, during menopause, you have increased risk for um, osteoporosis, osteopenia, right. bone yeah. fractures. And if your anti-seizure medication um, can also do that. You, you're it's like another, another X, right? Yeah. Another, a double hit. That's the word I want it. Yeah. A double hit. There we go. Yes. So, um, especially for example, during menopause, which again, mm -hmm. as a pediatric epilepsy physician, I don't, um, talk about much, <laughs> but I went into um, that a lot. Yeah. But, but both, uh, bone density and thinking about changes in hormone again. So we think about puberty and the pediatric mm -hmm. side, but menopause also impacts hormones and some people experience worse or potentially even better seizure control mm -hmm. with yeah. those hormone changes. Um, Interesting. And the last, the last I was just going to say something before you hit that last subject, but in regards to the mental health, there are also medications that we use in both realms, right? That we use as anti-seizure medication and as mental health medication. So that, it, that there can be a win there. It's not always like a, a, a struggle. Um, yeah, them. I think they're all not always playing against each other. Yeah, some medications can yeah. be useful in helping mood and seizure control. That's true. 
Um, another okay. reason. What's your last have, one? Yeah. Well, that's another reason to have your psychiatrist talk with your neurologist potentially. Is there? Yeah, right. If you could be on one med that can do both, like get a two for one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last part is just in terms of reproduction, um, sexual health, sexual dysfunction, mm -hmm. pregnancy, breastfeeding, all of these um, are, are things to talk with your neurologist about because um, certain anti-seizure medications uh, might increase the risk, for example, for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which can make it harder for you mm -hmm. to get pregnant. Um, there's also a some concern that certain anti-seizure medications can decrease sexual desire or pleasure. Um, that is probably true in both males and females. Um, and then with regard to pregnancy, there's certain medications that have a higher risk of, of potentially causing um, damage or abnormalities to a fetus, to the growing baby. And so talking with your neurologist, if you are thinking about getting pregnant or if you find yourself pregnant unexpectedly, you know, is my medication considered to be, you know, one of the safer options during pregnancy, knowing that levels might change as your blood volumes change during pregnancy. Um, and then ultimately, if you choose to breastfeed, is this anti-seizure medication safe for me to continue breastfeeding. Um, well, and I think that we, what we try really hard on our, like I said, pediatric side, it's not like we deal a lot with um, uh, pregnant patients, but is, is to, I think, inform families and patients um, that, that there's no reason why they can't um, have children or go on to have families and, um, and have this be a normal, quote unquote, right? There's my air quotes, a normal part of their life. And I think that that's in our pediatric realm and our, in our, based realm. Um, that is a very big a concern for a lot of our um, like older young adult uh, or even teenage I guess at that point uh, uh, patients that are like I, I'm broken and so I can't like have a normal. I'm like no yeah yeah you can yeah. <laughs> we live in a wonderful society that allows you to still be a woman and still be able to to have a quote-unquote normal life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important to discuss with families, especially if it's a concern that they don't even know how to voice. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, similar to the discussion we just had, you know, both how race and gender can impact epilepsy, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have worse outcomes or that, um, that you have to have worse outcomes, I should say. Yeah. But right. being aware of some of the trends and trying to better understand the why and controlling what you can control within mm -hmm. epilepsy is really important. Well, not living in the fear of epilepsy, right? I know that with my son, it was always very much about this is something that let, that happened to you and you get to experience versus someone that doesn't get to experience this. And you shouldn't live in fear of your epilepsy. Um, you should know that there's lots of lots of things out there that allow you control. Yeah, and I think research helps um, highlight those areas that we can, that we need to focus on um, mm -hmm. so that you can sort of live your best life um, with like epilepsy. But um, yeah, so I, I feel like I learned quite a bit in preparing for this episode today about um, different trends uh, both in how people with epilepsy um, are diagnosed 
outcomes, death rates, um, especially as it pertains to different races, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, a, all the number of multitude of factors that is uh, important to remember for women with epilepsy specifically mm -hmm. um, that can play a role in how your seizures are controlled. So I, I learned a lot. I encourage our listeners to, to look up some more information on some of these websites that we'll post on social media. Mm -hmm. Epilepsy Foundation, especially, and Center for Disease Control can be useful. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully research continues and we learn even more as time goes on. Yeah, I, and I, I, again, appreciate, Carrie, um, all of your uh, research and, and <laughs> research, <laughs> there's my air quotes again, your, your uh, information finding um, yes. on these topics, because I think it's very easy as humans to kind of get in our little um, realm of like what we're surrounded with and look beyond that um, can be a little bit difficult because if I'm not faced with um, a certain race or, or a certain gender, most of the time, then I kind of just know what I know based on the surroundings in which I have. So this is a very um, opening, uh, eye-opening, excuse me, um, look at epilepsy. So yeah, topic. Yeah. Thank you. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for going on this journey with me. Listeners, I hope uh, you feel more educated and aware, um, ready to take on advocacy um, for uh, epilepsy awareness in multiple realms and special considerations. So thanks for joining us. Check out our social media. And with that, thanks, thanks for, for the, the chat. chat. Information on this podcast is intended for general education and discussion and does not replace medical advice from your own healthcare professional. Opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect that of the University of Utah or Intermountain Healthcare. Visit us online or follow us on social media for more information. Child NeuroChat is recorded in the audio studio of the Marriott Library at the University of Utah with editing and mixing services provided by Robert J. Nelson. <laughs>